You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Team Guru Podcast. As always, I'm your host, David Frizzell, and in this episode, it's all about leading into the future. How will the art of leading change over time? What essential skills will you need to lead the workforce of tomorrow? To answer these questions and more, I'm joined by author, speaker, and leadership coach, Caroline Kennedy. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Caroline Kennedy, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, David. I feel very honoured to be on here given the high calibre of guests you've had. I love listening to your show. Oh, that's very kind of you, Caroline. And I do have some good guests, I have to admit. I get a a very good set of people who roll through here and you're no different. Your book is fabulous, Lead Beyond 2030. What a great title. What a great concept. I bet you don't have to spend much time explaining to people what you're all about. No, I don't. I like to keep it simple so that it's yeah not complex, so that people just get the gist of what it is and uh, what I'm all about. Well, the gist is very clear. And you outline in your book really nicely nine skills that leaders of the future will have to have. As much as I'd love to, we won't be able to go through each of those skills in detail, but we will fly over the top of all of them and we'll linger on a few of them. I've, I've got a few I'd love to ask you about. And they're organized in, in three categories that we're very familiar with here on this show. We've heard these many times before leading self, leading others, and leading the business, sometimes referred to as leading a team, but you've broadened it to leading the business, which I really like. But that way of structuring our thinking around leadership is really common. It's something we can all understand and and relate to. It's very clever. But let's start with the obvious question. Why do leaders of the future need to be different to what has made leaders successful up to this point? What is changing so fundamentally about workplace or the human condition or the role of a leader that means those skills will be different over time? Yeah. Well, as you see the transition from what we call the fourth industrial revolution into the fifth, and there's many, you know, individuals out there who are talking about when we'll enter the fifth. But the fifth basically is where we have gone from the fourth, which is about machines, technology, the future, and the fifth industrial revolution will find more balance there. We'll have humans and machines working together. So if you think about AI, but what, and we're moving rapidly towards that, and what's occurring is the evolution of everything and even COVID throwing, you know, us particularly adaptability and how quickly we have to adapt to changing situations. So everything's moving at lightning speed. But what probably hasn't evolved over that time is leadership and what we class as the traditional model of leadership. But as we see going into where we've got more humans and machines interacting, the human element of leadership will be vital. And when we look at like the World Economic Forum, even if when they're predicting, you know, from now till 2025, 
50% of all employees will need to reskill in that timeline because the skills in demand are completely different than they were yesterday. So the, the fourth industrial revolution is all about the ongoing automation, the smart technology that's taking over things like manufacturing. And the fifth industrial revolution is all about the key roles that, that robotics and automotion, automation will play. But you're, you're imagining in that, and, I, and I've got to admit, I haven't got my head cleanly, clearly around this fifth industrial revolution. You're imagining, is, is, it, is it that point of almost singularity where the role of machines and humans is becoming blurred and, and even the, the makeup of the machines and humans is becoming blurred and there's not so much a definitive line between the two? Yeah, very much so. And what we'll see though is the machine element will we'll use it for like data analysis. Uh, the speed of light will be able to have data. It'll run data sequencing. And even when we look at AI right now, and we can talk to Alexis or we can talk to Suri and we can ask questions and it goes off and finds information rapidly. Well, we'll see that a lot of that transition into the workplace where there's perhaps data-driven analysis or pulling data together, the machines will do quite rapidly. And for instance, if you're in a board meeting, you might say, Alexis, I need to know the sales forecast for X, Y, and Z. And, and that information will come up quite rapidly. So what's required then is for humans to be able to process that information, understand it, see the insights, the stories that obviously machines can't do yet. And that's where the human element and the machines will actually work hand in hand and they will bring data to us or bring analysis to us or do those robotic tasks or those manual tasks that we don't necessarily have to do. So our human skills will be critical because at the moment anyway, that might change, but they're the skills that the machines can't can't automate right now, right? They, mm. they just, it's not possible for them to do There's that. something that we can cling on to. Yeah. And I think also with the fifth industrial revolution, there's, a, you know, there's that sense of there's a crisis of trust with technology that will come with that. And even now we're quite resistant to it, yet it will enhance everything we're able to do. And it will provide us with the skill sets that, you know, that again, those human elements that we will not be, they will not be able to replicate. That's what we all bring to the table and those insights, those decision-making, et cetera. You remind me of so many things as you're talking there. And, and I know that this is just the beginning. We're just setting the scene for your content and we'll get to that really soon. But as you talk, you remind me of so many of the wonderful things I've read and engaged with in different ways. A book I read a long time ago, up to 10 years ago, called The Singularity is Near by Ray Kurzweil, a book that I still think about weekly. It, it's just got so many amazing concepts. Of course, Yuval Noah Harari has written a whole bunch of fantastic books, the Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. But the one that I'm getting at here is Homeo Juice, the idea of there'll be a useless class of human beings at some point into the near future. And what you're describing are people who have made themselves not useless by changing with the times and working out what skills will be important. But 
you know, and I've had a number of futurists on my podcast. Um, most recently, um, a guy called Gihan Pereira I've had on twice, I think. And Gihan, a beautiful communicator and a really clear thinker about the future. And then I, I read pieces like your book, and, and we're about to have a wonderful conversation about the future of leadership. I feel like I'm living in a two-speed world. There are all these great ideas that I've just talked about, but then I turn on the news or open uh, the ABC you know, news app or, or wherever I get my news, and our conversations are stuck in the past. You know, Not even today, they're stuck in yesterday. We're still spending so much of our, our social energy discussing things that we should have moved well beyond because all of these things are going to happen. The, the private sector will ensure the things that you're talking about will happen. Yet, as a society and as a, a global, uh, sorry, a, a national leadership, our federal government is still talking about whether the science is right on basic things like climate change. It, it blows my mind, to be honest, because I don't know where to look. You know, if I was to talk to you a few times in a week, I'd be, I'd be convinced that the future is coming. And Yuval Noah Harari tells me that the future is coming. But then I flick on the news and we're talking, it, it's like the 1980s. How do you make sense of that? Oh, I find that extremely frustrating. And particularly, I think if we look at leadership, and for me, that's what I focused on in this book, because I see so much old school thinking and old school leadership. And then we look, as as you've just rightly said, we look at, at our political leadership and it's archaic. Honestly, I can't believe how these political leaders operate, you know, even in the handling of the Christine Holgate saga with Scott Morrison and the way he condemned her without doing any research and and how he basically said if, you know, she needed to resign and he wouldn't apologize for accusing her of, you know, spending taxpayers' money. And he just went on a big rant. And again, that was all about ego and posturing and I'm the man and no and no real thought or empathy for the situation or even investigating the situation and then the whole thing escalated and then we saw the board members complying with what governments say with again without doing any research here was a woman who had led the company into what is said to be the most profitable in a very long time, a company that was quite irrelevant for many years and hadn't adapted to remain relevant until she came on board and she rewards some of her employees with securing the biggest monetary, you know, yeah, exactly, that's the word I'm looking for, a contract that and then she gets treated in that way. And it was honestly disgraceful. I, I was watching it thinking, what world do we live in? Where is, and it, you know, there's a lot of, they're hypocritical in the way that they approach things and there's no accepting of responsibility. There's blame everywhere. It's just, it's appalling. And I think you're right. It's like we're living in, the 80s, if not the 70s. like It doesn't seem like their leadership have, has evolved. And these are our role models, right? And all that, what it adds up to is that we're not talking about the things that count. Yep. That we spend how many news cycles on Christine Holgate? How many news cycles on the deplorable 
behaviour of our nation's leaders outside of the parliament or even inside the walls of the parliament. We spend time talking about all of that kind of stuff and no time preparing for the future that is inevitable and the future that is so different from what we're experiencing now. You and I, Caroline, will will die from a world that's very different to the one that we spend our careers working in. The end of our career will be totally foreign to what we imagined when we finished school. And imagine what our grandkids will experience. Imagine the life that they'll live, but yet our national leaders, as you say, are bogged down in these ridiculousness. You know, as you're talking, I'm just looking up a, a philosophical point that I've, I've read about many times by Thomas Hobbes way back in the 16th century. He wrote a book called The Leviathan, and he reached the conclusion that because of the abuse of power, an absolute monarchy is the best form of government. Now, I'm not saying that he's right or wrong. I think it's a very interesting philosophy. And the reason he lands on that is because everything that we've just talked about, we have leaders, electors, leaders who are so short-term focused, so, so focused on this news cycle and getting to the next election. And, and they've, got, they've got an investment in keeping the voting public's minds really narrow on a really set of narrow topics that they can control today, rather than allowing us and putting us in a position to think about the future and what's possible and the kind of challenges that we'll have to overcome. Look, we've drifted way off where I thought we'd go here, Caroline, but it's very interesting nonetheless. And I'm, I feel remarkably, remarkably unprepared to have that kind of conversation. So I'll pull it up now before I show my ignorance. Now, Caroline, let's get to your stuff. Let's talk about these skills that leaders for the future will have to have. And you've identified in the title of your book, 2030. Is there a golden reason behind that number or is it just something that we can imagine and relate to that's far enough in the future that we know will have to change? I think it's very much about the next decade and as we evolve into the next decade, what will that look like for us? And it's about adapting your skill set to be able to lead successfully beyond the next decade. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. Now let's get into these. As I said, they're broken into three categories, leading self, leading others, and leading the business. Now the first one is an old favorite of the show. It's emotional intelligence and we probably don't need to spend an awful amount of time here because we talk about it in, in so many different ways across so many different episodes of this podcast. But I'm interested to, to know why you've identified it as a skill to the future. Why do we need it more into the future than we need it today? I would argue, as many do and have, that emotional intelligence is the number one skill for any leaders in 2021, let alone in 2030. Why is that changing? What do you see changing there? It, it's critical today as well. So these are skills that will lead you in good steed into the future and help you lead beyond 2030. And I think, again, we talk about emotional intelligence as a skill that's a prerequisite for leadership, yet it's missing in the way so many leaders show up. And in a high portion of leaders, they lack emotional intelligence. So Whilst we might say that, yes, it is relevant today and it is very much so, it is lacking and we see it time and time again. So 
It's definitely a much needed skill, but a much lacking skill. And because it's not necessarily talked about, we talk about IQ, we talk about technical skills, but it's actually those human skills that set you up for success. And for me, without going into detail about emotional intelligence, because we'd be here all day, but for me, it's very much around a switch from leading others as about being not about being self, but about being about others. So emotional intelligence is setting others up for success and being really clear about how you lead and how you do so with a high level of emotional intelligence as opposed to just that IQ driving people, but how you show up as an individual and how you're the best version of yourself for others. So it's not a, it's not about being selfish it's selfless. So a, a timeless skill. And I, I guess part of your reason for having it there, as you've just explained, is that it's always important. But even now where we know it's important and we've known it's important for 26 years since Daniel Goleman popularized the term emotional intelligence in 1995, yet we still don't have enough of it. So it can't disappear from the buffet of skills that leaders into the future have to have. That's a great justification for having it there. And there are, you have four skills listed within leading self, emotional intelligence, self-awareness, building authority, and executive presence. I'm really interested in those, those last two, building authority and executive presence. Before we get there, I want to point out that you have plucked one of the components of emotional intelligence, self-awareness, and made it its own dot point. Now, I know you didn't do that through ignorance because you've talked about emotional intelligence extensively in your book. You, you, you understand very well that self-awareness is part of Goldman's domains within emotional intelligence. Why did you choose to pluck that one out and highlight it even more? Because I think the starting point for any improvement is self-awareness, and it is awareness. If you can't or don't have awareness, then how can you improve? So it's critical. It's the starting point for anything. It's very interesting, isn't it? Because of course, self-awareness is Goldman's first domain in emotional intelligence. And the second is self-control. And of course, it's it's great to have self-control and to develop self-control. But if you're not aware of the things that you need to control or the way things affect you, the kind of wake that you leave behind you as you move through your world as a leader, and I think that's language that Goldman uses, that wake behind you, then self-control is good, but it only will get you so far. It's having an awareness of yourself and the impact that you have and the impact others have on you that's so powerful. All right, building authority. Why have you named this as one of the skills that leading myself into the future will be essential? Well, I think... Authority for me is not about telling people what to do. It is very much about leading people on a journey where they align with you and they connect with you and having that sense of presence whereby you completely feel at ease with yourself. And I describe it as a sense of peace, whereas I find in a lot of the work that I do, which is okay, but what we find is that that presence piece is like elusive for a lot of people. They're always looking for it. They think it's in how they speak or the words that they use. 
and how people perceive them, but actually it's that sense of I'm okay to be flawed, I'm okay to say something wrong in the moment, I'm human, and that presence and that authority is about being human and it's about that, and I don't like to use buzzwords, but you know that I'm just showing up as my true self, whereas we have, again, historically role modelled whereby people have to, you know, they wore masks where we were void of any feeling in anything that we did, whereas I think showing that we're, we're human, we all make mistakes, and that presence piece is just around, I'm here to serve you, I'm here to set you up to be the best version of yourself to I'm here to lead a team to be the best team that they can be. And I take responsibility for that. And I think that authority naturally comes as a result of that trust that you've built with your team and that presence of knowing that you are doing what's right in the moment and holding everybody to a standard that is quite high but one that you've led the way to as well. And is that idea of building authority, you've, you've touched very heavily there on authenticity and finding what is truly my presence or my power as a leader and, and leveraging that and being the best kind of leader that, that David can be rather than copying someone else that I've seen or the person who came before me in, in the role. I guess that's what we're getting at there. It reminds me of a story I I remember I was facilitating a leadership day in a large organization, a very good client of mine, and they had a new CEO, someone who was hired internally from the business. They'd come up through the ranks and it was a very high profile signing inside the organization. And we had this really great leadership day. And at one point I interviewed him and he'd only just started as the CEO. And I asked him if I could do this beforehand, but I I said to him, you know, do you want to talk about your own journey as a leader and how you're not perfect? You're you're learning as well. And just because you're the CEO now doesn't mean you've stopped learning. There's still a growth thing here. And he was more than happy to do that to his credit. Very vulnerable, very authentic in front of his peers, the people who he was leading, the people in whose in whose eyes he was trying to establish himself as their new CEO. And he was willing to stand there and talk about the fact that even though he's got the top job now, he's still growing as a person. This is a mystery to him. He's not going to pretend he's done this before. And it was so powerful. And a bunch of people talked to me afterwards about how amazing it was. And they they couldn't believe that he was willing to stand there and say it. And it just reminded me of how important that is. And And I know leaders in large organizations get very caught up in the business of their days. And we've done a bunch of podcasts here about you know, senior leaders who have back-to-back-to-back-to-back meetings and their days are chockers and they're just running around like chooks with their head cut off, they very quickly forget that there's a bunch of people in the organization who look at them as the authority figure. And if they can remember to show some humility, some humanness to those people, then half their work of establishing themselves as a presence as a leader in that organization is done. If they can just remember that. But of course, so many of them have difficulty doing that because of the back-to-back-to-back meetings that we all know every organization seems to get themselves into the trap of. And is that executive presence along the same lines of what we've discussed here? Yeah. And I think the executive presence is about also operating from a place of consciousness as opposed to that 
hamster wheel of just doing, 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 really stepping back and seeing and thinking about how you are operating and doing it from a very strong place of consciousness, not just about how you are, you know, you impact with people, but that presence is really just owning that you're comfortable in your own skin and that you're, you know, and I talked about the mask before, but there are so many individuals that come with the armor and the mask in the corporate and private sector. And they're, they're looking for role models that say it's okay to shed all that stuff. It's okay to be human. It's okay to show up with humility, as you said before, yet there's so much of the opposite of that because we're trying to impress or we're worried about what this person's thinking. Are the board saying this? Uh, what's going on? Am I doing a good enough job? Whereas that executive presence is just being content with self and operating from a place of consciousness. Very nice. Content with self. I like it. All right. So that's leading self, emotional awareness, self-awareness, building authority and executive presence. And then we come to leading others, which of course is a very important part of being a leader, but nothing is more important than leading yourself first. And that's a very well-established truism of this art of leadership. But leading others, you've talked about three skills here. Number one is leveraging human behavior. The next is influence. And the third is persuasion to empower higher performance. Tell us about those, Caroline. How do they work together to help someone lead people into the future? I think when we talk about, again, consciousness, it's around Let's look at human behavior because we're not robots. So it's how do you meet people where they're at? And I learned this skill many years ago, but I often tell the story about, particularly in my earlier career, I drove people to get results. I was operating from a very place of self. I wanted to advance my career. I wanted to get where I needed to go and I would do whatever it took. And then at one point in my life, like through that, you know, journey, I thought to myself, how do I challenge the status quo? You know, what is going to be the catalyst for change here? How do I get more, like help people to become the best versions of themselves? And for me, that started with looking at human behavior and I became obsessed by human behavior. And I talk a little bit about how I had an adverse childhood. So I was always human behavior was always of interest to me, but particularly I wanted to dive into the neuroscience around human behavior and how we can really tap into that to get the best out of people. So thinking about individuals, thinking about their character type, thinking about them as what triggers them, watching, being observant of what is triggering them, understanding how your words matter, how you use those words how to encourage individuals, how to use empathy to then disarm people when they're becoming triggered or how to be like you described before, David, which is about being vulnerable. So one of the disarming techniques I find very useful is where I disarm through genuine compliments for somebody or genuinely empathizing with them and talking about an experience or a failure that I might have had. So relating to a situation that they might be experiencing as well. 
so that you're establishing that trust for them and just being really clear on what they need from you too, human needs, okay? And not going into too much detail about that, but you know, what is this individual? How are they operating? What are their needs? And how is that manifesting for them? And then what approach do you take as a result of knowing all of this to help lead them to an outcome? And that for me is very powerful. And then we go into influence, which is around using those insights and those observations and being really clear on how you, what outcome you want in a meeting or what outcome you want from this this situation and being really clear on what do I need to do to help this individual conclude for themselves what that and get them to that outcome. And again, it's all about the thinking about the human behavior, asking the questions. So one of the most underutilized techniques or tools is asking questions to seek to understand, to think about or seeking to understand somebody else's perspective, right? Instead, we think we we make assumptions that we know X, Y, and Z. Well, questions are extremely powerful. Yet I see the majority of leaders do not ask questions and do not help lead people to a conclusion because the neuroscience around the the brain and you know a good story I always tell David is if you went off and bought a computer on the exact same day as I bought a computer from the same store and you went and set your computer up and I set my computer up and a, a year later mine goes kaput and I come to you and I say David my computer's just you know stop working How, can I use yours And then I get on your computer and you have filed all your folders in different places. So I'm going to get on there and I'm not going to be able to find anything because you've put them in sequence to your logical order. That's how the brain does. So our experiences, how we've seen or experienced life through our lenses, we segment all of that in our brain. And then when somebody asks us a question, it sparks those neurons and they connect. Whereas when we tell somebody what to do, we're telling them from our perspective, from our colored lens, and they don't necessarily have that same connection that they would have had you asked them a question. And it's just the neuroscience around how people learn and and it's extremely powerful. You reminded me of some really great stuff that I've read and engaged with in the past. Of course, Stephen Covey, you touched on him there, seek first to understand. And and I, I've had someone on the podcast who I'm assuming you probably know, Corinne Armour, talks about a leader who asks questions, a leader who asks. And, and she wrote a book that was all about the power of asking and not telling and just taking that time to ask and and the neuroscience behind that it's all wonderful stuff and I'm getting the impression Caroline that what you've you'll, you've done here is really adding up to the importance of leadership into the future is going to be to amplify our humanness to, to almost differentiate ourselves from the robots we're going to have a lot of wonderful AI that can do lots of the jobs that we currently spend time doing and we can't compete with that in any way, not by long shot, 
But what we can do is be a great job of being human and to amplify the best parts of being human is something that you've done a really good job of articulating. So that was leading others, leveraging human behavior, influence and persuasion to empower. And let's just touch briefly on the three points that you have here in leading a business, adaptability and innovation, critical thinking, creative problem solving. Now, there's not much there that we haven't heard before in terms of concept, but what's really important for you that sits within that third category? Well, I think Again, if we go back to the predictions with the World Economic Forum, right, what we see is definitely the top skills between now and let's say the next five years and the shift in them. We've got problem solving, self-management, working with people and tech development. And I'm not going to go into all of the others, but at the core of it, it is really about the innovation, the critical thinking, the adaptability and managing people and managing self whereby, you know, and as I said before, what they're predicting is 50% of our workforce will need to reskill to obtain these skills. But if we look at remaining relevant and businesses remaining relevant, what does that require? That requires the problem solving, the, the creative thinking and the space for that and the organic space for that. I mean, you look at BlackBerry, right, or Kodak. And they failed to innovate. Yeah, exactly, right? And they failed to innovate. They failed to remain relevant. And that adaptability is critical. And we don't necessarily create those environments, particularly in the private and corporate sector. And it's about how do we create the environments where everybody is problem solving, everybody is, is thinking about what does the future look like? What do we require? And and bringing those thinking skills and creating environments where it's okay to fail. So for instance, in my career as a CEO, when I led a travel company through global financial crisis and the industry was being disrupted by technology and online travel, we were a traditional wholesaler and I remember coming into the business and doing an you know an analysis and looking at our forward bookings and thinking, oh my God, our business is going backwards. And I just become like CEO and I thought, what am I doing here? And I thought, all right, so how do we problem solve this? What are the problems we're facing right now? Which was that we're a pretty static business model that was that traditional business model, but we weren't evolving to be dynamic for instant availability, everything took so long. So then I thought, how do we use technology, bring what, whether it be cross-industry innovation or cross-platform, what's out there and how do we bring that into the business? And what we used, we had, uh, if you ever walk into a travel agent, right, you'd find a, a racks full of all these brochures. One of our biggest problems, I'm going to just focus on one, one of the biggest problems we faced was every one of our competitors did the same brochure. Now, we used to sell Europe and so there's many organizations that sold Europe. And the problem was that the travel agent would hand out anybody's brochure. And how do we solve the problem of getting the brochure in the hands of the consumer first and foremost, as opposed to any of our competitors, right? Because they cost us a lot of money to produce. They were one of the biggest costs we had. 
And how do we engage with the customer so that we have a point of difference? So I went out and did research and I worked with a gentleman who was over in Silicon Valley. He was even testing their Google I Google things for Google. Google Yeah, that's the one at the time. And we talked about augmented reality and how we could use that technology on the brochures. And we bought, what we did was we, on the front of the brochures, you could scan QR code or use your phone or your iPad and up would pop like an experience of that destination so we could get the consumer to engage with the destination. And it was a point of difference because it was visual for them. And then the future vision for that was, well, you could walk around hotels and you could experience a hotel for the future. So we were the first to market with doing anything that had a point of difference for this. And the outcome being that a travel agent wanted to hand our brochure out because it was different and because they could engage the consumer and it was they were demonstrating the evolution of travel and the experience and getting aligning the consumer with what they could experience. And you know what? Travel agents were also having a challenging time because consumers were going and buying online themselves, right? So they wanted this new technology. They wanted to hand our brochures out and it was really successful. We, in the end, during that period, we were growing quite rapidly to the point where the likes of Flight Center, who are one of the biggest, you know, retail travel agent chains, came to me and they said, you're bucking the trend. How are you guys doing this? And, you know, that's one example of solving a problem. We had many problems and one of them was we just need to get these brochures in the hands of the customer and for the third party to hand them out over our competitors and we'd get more business. And it worked. It was successful. But that's problem solving and that's innovation at its core. But we didn't reinvent the wheel. It just existed. It was out there in different industries. We just capitalize on utilizing the technology. Yeah. I'll tell you what, that is very clever. I like that. I was wondering where you were going with that, but the solution you came up with is very nice, very, very impressive. All right. Now we have quickly run out of time. We've talked about leading ourselves, leading others, leading the business, and you just finished with a wonderful story of innovation. And I think that story in itself captured those three elements that you have under leading a business. For people who are listening now, they've bought into all of the ideas that you've shared tonight. Leave us with a couple of nuggets of gold that we can remember as our career progresses over the next few years. And we just want to check in on ourselves to make sure that we are evolving into this leader who'll survive into the future. What are those nuggets you can leave us with? Well, I think is being operating consciously, thinking about how you are leading, thinking about the future of leadership, perhaps where you have some strengths, but also some skills gaps and thinking about how you are going to fill those gaps for the future. Being really clear on what the skills are that are required for the future of leadership and going out there and doing something about obtaining those skills. And secondly, I think is tapping into the human evolution and being a human-centric leader, understanding a little bit more about human behavior, thinking about human behavior, skilling up in terms of meeting people where they're at as opposed to being one-dimensional. How can you as a leader become multi-dimensional and change your approach based on your audience? 
And thirdly and lastly, I would say is how do you ensure you are future fit, but also the businesses or the departments that you're operating are future fit? What does the future look like? How are you evolving to remain relevant so that you do have a future? And how are you leading your the business into the future to ensure success? Caroline, that is a wonderful place to leave it. Thank you so much for joining me on the Team Guru podcast, Caroline Kennedy. Thank you for having me, David. It's been a pleasure. And that was Caroline Kennedy. I love thinking and talking about the future. And of course, the future of leadership sits right in the sweet spot of this podcast. And how about those gold nuggets for those of us who see the power of leaders into the future? Number one, operate consciously. Think about how you're leading and how you'll continue to grow into the future. Number two, tap into the human evolution. Be a human-centric leader. And number three, ask yourself regularly, how do I and the business I'm leading remain future fit? As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Caroline on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn, and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.